girl, our host, Shandrea, at one point, she is so mad. Mm-hmm. She is, like, at one point so mad, she is almost pounding her fists on the table. <laughs> I know. I love her. Don't you love her? I really do. And I love why she's here. I lo- I mean, I hate why she's here. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just love how she is true. Let the women do the work. She took matters yes. into her own yes. hands. Don't get on her bad side. No. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> Patrick Hines, Banana. Banana. Um, you guys, if you're looking for more Jillian and me, join us on the Patreon. It's over 150 full bonus ad-free episodes to download a binge right this second, girl. Yeah, all those long-term series, you know, six, seven, eight yeah. parters. Uh, the Vow, The Jinx, Making a Murderer, The Staircase. Oh, A Wilderness of Error, girl. This is the case of Jeffrey McDonald with Errol Morris. Mm-hmm. It's what we're currently doing. I am obsessed. This is the case we text about in between recordings the most. Yes. We've never really done that before. We're just like, girl, check this Reddit thread. What's up? I know. Yeah. You guys are wilderness of error. Oh, my God. Get thee to the Patreon. I am obsessed. Or as Steve Tipton calls it, an error of wilderness. <laughs> <laughs> He's so pretty. I love him. I know. You can also find ad-free versions of these episodes, Corona check-ins, after parties. You know, the Patreon's where it's all at. Yeah, we're doing some video stuff, too. Yeah, There's just a lot happening. Also, you guys, get in the Facebook group. It's True Crime Obsessed Podcast Discussion Group. If you're looking for more True Crime friends, a place to just, like, find other weird a place to find suggestions for other documentaries or podcasts to listen to. Just like come find your people in our podcast group, you guys. Yeah, people who get the references from this podcast, I always say, because people like, those are my favorite first posts. Like, hi, just found the group. I keep telling my husband to give it a goog. He seems to not get it. Uh, My coworker looked at me like I was crazy yesterday when I said bears were going to bear. Like, these are your people. We get it. We get all of it. Come hang. All right, girl, what are we talking about today? The disappearance of Phoenix Colden. So it's a two-parter. So this is episode one, and it's called Who Is She? Yeah, so this is what we do sometimes, you guys. Episode one is available right now on the regular feed. Episode two is available right now at the $5 level ad-free on the Patreon feed, and it's going to be next week's regular episode. So when you get to the end of this episode and you just have to know what's happening, you can find the next episode on the Patreon feed. Right, and I feel like you're going to want to know. I am, like, transfixed by this case. This This case is really bananas, you guys. We meet a lot of characters. It doesn't veer into that oxygen stuff we don't like. It stays pretty, like, close to really trying to figure out what the F happened here. Yeah, I mean, we do talk to an audio expert, um, (laughs) but they're okay. I give them a pass. And we also, we don't have, like, fake bullshit experts. We we talk to the people in Phoenix's life, which to me are, like, the biggest experts on Phoenix. Is like, let's just talk to the people who knew her. Phoenix was kind-hearted. She's young, she's black, she's beautiful, with a bright future. Ahead. I saw her back out of the driveway and she never returned. I never knew there were so many tears in my body. The news media wouldn't give us the time of day. They missed that crucial first 48 hours. If Phoenix had looked like Natalie Holloway, though, he would not have had this problem. There's never been a body found. What happened the last month of her life? like, somebody coming to get me. I'm like, who coming to get you? Maybe her life ended that day. From an investigator standpoint, it doesn't look good. Who's ever calling? She doesn't want her parents to know. Talk about secrets. Well, if we do find her, what are we going to find? I looked up, and that's when I saw Phoenix. Someone knows where she is and what happened to her. 
right, girl. So it opens with Phoenix's parents. I'm going to say right from the start, I have complicated feelings about the parents. Girl, me <laughs> too. But they are also grieving parents. Or like, you know, we don't know. We really don't know where she is. So Goldia, the mom, is sort of just saying that like, But after my daughter went missing, I felt helpless. Most of the time I felt like screaming, desperate to do something, but I don't know what to do. I don't feel like I have too much purpose anymore. I lay in bed and sometimes I just don't want to go on. There are moments I don't want to go on and I just have, yep. Right. I'm always shocked that we get parents who speak in full sentences and aren't hysterical on the floor. And that is not a shade thing. Like, I don't know how I would be able to sit with the camera and the lighting and signing a police form to be in a documentary to talk about this horrible, traumatic thing. I don't get how people are able to do it. I want to point this out at the top. We're going to talk about this a lot. I think one of the reasons these parents are so put together is because they know that this case, their daughter's missing person case, did not get coverage. The mom tried. The media does not not tend to cover missing people's cases in general and especially missing people of color. And so I think that's one of the reasons why the parents are like, no, we've got flashcards of every point we want to make and every single thing we want to say and we're going to look straight into this camera and we're going to get it all out. Right. And so Phoenix Colden is black, we should say. Yes. So Lawrence is her dad and Lawrence says it's December 18th, 2011. Lawrence saw Phoenix get into her car in their own driveway. Phoenix was living at home and she backed out of the driveway and then he says and she never returned. She was 23 when she went missing and her mom is like she was 23 years old she's 30 years old now 30 years old she says she's 30 years old now and then she says it like with periods she's like 30 years old right and so the police haven't updated them in like three maybe four years and immediately we're back to like no one took it seriously nobody cared except wait hold on i'm gonna correct myself (laughs) except for shandrea thomas local reporter badass and not here for your shit in the beginning the coldens were struggling to get coverage for phoenix's case and me as a black woman i thought she's young She's black, she's beautiful, she has a bright future ahead, and people need to know what happened to her and not throw her story away. You guys do not get on Chandrea's list. I'm aware of a handful of lists. I know about Uh Julian Pensavalli's list. Look, I don't want to be on her list. Are you kidding me? The threat of being on her list. Like, she is this woman. She is incredible. She's so smart. She's so cool. She is so determined. She gets shit done. We see, like, footage of her from back in the day when the story was first breaking. She's like, I knew that I had to fight to get that story on the air. It's up to us as journalists to bring up stories about people of color in those news meetings and explain to people exactly why it's important to cover those stories. And I take that responsibility seriously, and I kept pushing Phoenix's story until they agreed to cover it. Chandrea is also black, and so like she is saying, as a black person who works in media, I mm-hmm. understand that these are the cases that don't get covered. But you know, you can just picture Chandrea in these like news fucking pitch meetings, right, right, right. where it's like time and time and time again. And one week, her news director was like, "Fine, Chandrea, fine, girl." Yeah, if you'll shut up and right. like be quiet, like ah, the worst. But so now Chandrea is working with Joe Deal. So Joe Delia is a retired deputy chief of police of St. Louis. So Joe and Chandrea, they go to the Coldens' home to learn more about Phoenix. And other than she had a wonderful sense of humor and she loved music and she loved playing piano, we learn some important things here. I homeschooled Phoenix from sixth grade on. Phoenix started college in 2007 and she moved back home in May of 2011. Okay. 
they don't really focus on this here. Those dates are important because yes. basically when she left home in 2007 to go to college, she was experiencing freedom for the first time in her life. Like, we are going to find out how strict these parents were yes. and how under their thumb she was. So just keep that in mind as we're talking about, like, Phoenix going away and coming back. Right. So she moved home in May of 2011. And by December 18th of that year, she went missing. So Chandra is like, let's go back to the day she went missing. Yeah. So it's December 18th, 2011. And we get the day. And like basically the mom and Phoenix go to church where Phoenix played in the bell choir, girl. I know. <laughs> I feel like that's a thing they only bring out at Christmas time. No, not at Phoenix's church, girl. Well, it was December 18th, sweetheart. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I just proved my own point. Bell Choir, just one month a year, you guys. It's a very low commitment. But she, she was a musical person, so it, it, she was probably yes. playing something. <laughs> but it's also like, how do you look? I know we've got bigger fish to fry. How do you learn to play the bells? Is there sheet music? How does it work? And it's not bells. There's an instrument of bells where it lays across your legs and you hit it with a, I don't know, like a... That's called a xylophone, girl. <laughs> but they call it the bells, too. When I was little... <laughs> Look, I'm just telling you, you guys, when I corrected Jillian just now, I got the look and I was immediately afraid I was on the list. No, I'm sure you're right. Yes, I know it's also a xylophone, but I was told back in third grade that it was also called the bells. Okay, fine. You're on the record. <laughs> so church at 11, they get home around two. Well, because they stopped at the store. It wasn't like a three hour right. church thing. Right. <laughs> it's a lot of bells. It just it goes on for hours and hours. Three hours is a lot of church. I don't care who you are. I don't <laughs> Even God is like, oh, girl, that's too much for me, girl. You know what? I think God would say if she were here, she'd say, cool 15 minutes, you're in, you're out. Do the whole don't be dicks to anyone, be nice, consent is a thing, and go home. Yeah, have that sip of wine and get out of there. And get out of here. So 2 p.m. they're home, and then at 3 o'clock, 3.05 is when the dad sees her drive off. But the thing is, it's like the way they describe it is that Phoenix walked right by them, walked out of the right. house, into the car, and never came back. About 3 p.m., she comes into the family room and she walks past me. She goes out the front door. She got in her vehicle when I saw her back out of the driveway. And she drove off. You guys, I honestly, I think that's an important detail too. Yeah, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Even in my notes, I'm like, it sounds like she didn't even say goodbye. And the dad says she walked right past me. Can I just say, look, we're going to get into a lot of like, was she sex trafficked? I'm telling you right now, I'm going to lay my cards on the table. I think there's a very strong possibility Phoenix walked out of her life. I agree. And I'll tell you, you guys, on Obsessed with Disappeared, that's all we cover is missing people cases. It is very, very, very hard to do that. And it is very rare. I think there's a real possibility that that's what Phoenix did. Yes, we did, we cover this with like Maura Murray and you're right. It's very hard to just pick up and change your identity or just vanish into thin air. It's very hard to do. Yes. However, sometimes the circumstances of your daily life require you to just fucking try. Girl, I agree. So, yeah. <laughs> You know, she's away for the night. It's like the next day. She's not back. And so they call the cops the next day. And the mom tells oh us God. at the kitchen table where all, as you know, all the good stories happen at the kitchen table. All the tea, like all the good shit happens yes. at the kitchen table. And so she's telling Shandrea and Joe, like, I call the cops. And the cops are like, oh, she's 23 years old. Like, she's an adult. She doesn't have to tell you where she's going. And Goldia, the mother, goes. I just told him, I don't know what wolves raised you. But that's not how we do things here. She's not home when she's supposed to be, and I haven't heard from her. She's missing. I expect you to make a missing persons report. I don't 
know what wolves raised you, but that's not how we do things here. That's how you do it, Goldia. So the cops are like, okay, fine. Like the mother is like up in arms again. I get, let, yeah. let's run the license plate. Nothing shows up. And so the cops are useless at this point. Yeah. So this is when we find out that the car was in a tow yard in East St. Louis and that Phoenix's car was actually found and impounded three hours after she left home. So when the cops is running these plates, you would think, well, then why didn't the car come up? We don't get this next detail until later. I'm going to tell you right now. They are dealing with two different states. They live in Missouri and the car was found in East St. Louis, Illinois. It's one of those things where like the states are really close to each other and you just sort of come and go from each. So when they impounded this car, it was in another state and that's why the cops missed it. And it took two fucking weeks for them to figure out that Phoenix's car was in this lot in East St. Louis. So let's talk about how the car was found. At this point, here's yes. what we learn. Right now, at this point, I'm going to say that again. At this point, here's what we know. Yeah. The car is found in a traffic lane with the keys in the ignition. The driver's door was open and she was in East St. Louis. And the car was running. The car was on. Yeah, the keys in the ignition. I know that. Yeah. I don't drive, but I know that. I know what that means. <laughs> you can have the keys in the ignition without the car being on. So I'm just saying the car was on. Oh, see? Learn something new every day. <laughs> and it's called a xylophone. <laughs> <laughs> Which I know you're right about. I will not argue with you on this. I know you're right. I'm just saying. Someone told me one time. I was just telling a story from my childhood. God, get crucified around here. I'm just so used to being the wrong one all the time. I'm enjoying my moment. So the car is found in East St. Louis. A little bit more about East St. Louis. It's crime-ridden, wrought with vacant lots, dilapidated housing, drugs. I'm like, she didn't take it there. Oh my God, you guys. They don't want you to buy a house in East St. Louis. It is crime ridden. Their words, not mine. Vacant lots, mm -hmm. drugs. They also say that the car was found next to Interstate 70, which we hear 50 yeah. times is, quote, And that's the sex trafficking superhighway of America. Okay, stop it. Everyone shut up and pull over. <laughs> Hopefully not on Interstate 70 or whatever. Here's my thing. If something can yeah. be named... The sex yes. trafficking super highway of America. Can it yeah, not sure. be the sex trafficking super? If you are aware that that is what happens there, can we just make it that that doesn't happen anymore? In what universe? Remember the episode where we were talking about the known dumping grounds? You this guys, if it's the known dumping ground, we want floodlights. I want the floodlights. We want 24-hour surveillance. If it's the sex trafficking super highway of America, can we get some roadblocks? Can we get some pit stops? I feel like if it's called that, there's no reason it should still be that. Does that make sense? We yes. know what it is. We know where it is. We know what it is. There's no reason it should, that it should be the sex trafficking superhighway of America for five minutes at the most. And then immediately shut the fuck down. You guys, Jillian's Law. I'm telling you, it's going to be the top rated TV show on HBO. To be able to, for all these years, I know. Joe Delia, he was there know, and he's I like, know. I gotta tell you, it's just, like, it just happened. Like, it happened to all of us and there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. Like, we have I no know. control over the fact that we know full well how dangerous this area is. But no, just fuck it. <laughs> Oxygen will come and do a goddamn documentary about it. Who cares? What? <laughs> So Joe and Shandrea are back in the neighborhood where Phoenix lived at the time. And so Joe says to Shandrea, like, well. You know what we need to do? What's that? We need to do an old-fashioned neighborhood canvas. All right, let's do it. 
We're gonna do an old-fashioned canvas, girl. They're going door to door and like asking the neighbors what they saw because you have to remember this case did not get a lot of attention. So we don't know if the cops ever actually did a canvas of the neighborhood. And we meet the neighbors and the most important thing we get out of this is that we find out that there's a girl named Akira who lives in the neighborhood who was Phoenix's best friend. And basically Joe and Chandrea are like, we need to find her and talk to her. Right. Because like being the best friend, like if anything was going on in Phoenix's life, she would probably know about it. Right. And in the middle of this, we kind of take a little bit of a turn to talk to Kat Summers. And Kat Summers is a sex trafficking survivor. And she helps others recover. And she is like, whatever happened to Phoenix has got earmarks of trafficking. Her car was found, keys in the ignition, door was ajar. Her shoes were in the car, and the highway that goes right beside that area in East St. Louis is known as a trafficking highway. I gotta tell you, she's been talking to these people for two seconds. She's like, it really looks like sex trafficking to me. My question is, I need to know more about Kat. Like, Kat herself was sex trafficked. Girl, how did that happen to you? Like, literally, how did that happen to you? Because Kat tells us that, like, the sex trafficking industry in this country is a 30 billion dollar industry. And she said that was 2012. Like, what is it now? You know? And East St. Louis is on the top 10 list of places. So East St. Louis is like a hub, as we learned, the super highway or whatever for this place. Yeah. And so the thing that I, I really appreciate that they do here is that Kat is telling us like all of these misconceptions. I think the biggest misconception is that it is only the poor, the uneducated, that it only happens out of the United States. There are no lines. She's like, sometimes they just literally throw you into the back of a van. But that's why I'm saying I want more information from Kat because she's saying like the way that we have heard that Phoenix's car was found. The car was running. It was in a traffic lane. Right. Like her shit was all still there. Her purse, her cell phone. And Kat is saying like it seems like somebody came over to talk to her, somehow was able to like get her out of her car for like a split second. Right. And then like two men threw her in the back of a car. And I'm like, I have so many questions about this. I know. I, I, I... Can we go fencing real quick? I'm sorry. I need to get my mind off this. Okay, so Shandrea says to us, So we need to find out more about Phoenix, and we know she's a talented fencer. So we reached out to some of her fencing friends. Like, this is where it goes off the rails. They are going to Uh learn more about Phoenix by going to the fencing gym. If you guys don't know what fencing is, remember when you saw, like, Shakespeare in Love where they're doing the sword fighting? That's fencing, you guys. Where you're wearing that, like, full, like, jumpsuit with the mesh mask. Yeah, it's the Madonna Die Another Day video. That's fencing. That's exactly it. (laughs) I mean, I don't know why any of this is relevant, but Shandrea thinks it is, so here we go. The main event for me here is Brad. Brad? Brad girl? (laughs) Look, we say this a lot, but Brad girl... Where are you? Slide into those DMs. Brad is one of her fencing friends, and Chandrea and Joe are sitting down with him because they want to know what she was like. And Chandrea says, and I quote, I'm wondering what the fencing crowd was like. And Brad is like, I have three words for you, girl. Dungeons and dragons. How do I put this? Uh... So Sam and I still play Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. Uh, you know, to kind of throw us in that category. So fencing attracts that crowd, but a lot of it was just, you know, we were pretty intense about it, you know? Chandra goes, oh. Like, when somebody tells you that they're really into Dungeons and Dragons, that really tells you everything you need to know. Am I wrong? Right, but it also means that they're, like, determined and organized and, like, have a great imagination. Like, yes. I am not going to be one of those people who, like, <laughs> shits on this. I think that shit is cool. Do what you want to do. I don't know how to 
to play it. I tried to play Dungeons and Dragons one time when I was like in middle school because I thought, oh, it's like fun and like imagination-y. No, girl. It is real nerdy, girl. It's real nerdy. It's like a lot of work and you have to make a character. And like if I had the attention span, I think I would be super into it. But like oh, I don't. No. I've never played oh, no. it, but I know that there's like a dungeon master and like they tell what the story is. I don't understand it. But the point is, if you love Dungeons and Dragons, do it up. Look, you and I are not. I'm never going to get you on my side with this. I think Dungeons and Dragons is really out there. I think there are more out there things. Okay. <laughs> I love the idea of knowing that you would be really into it if you had the time. It's one of those things where I think it's like, it's so harmless. Just let them have it. Like, who cares? I know. I'm being a dick about it. When Brad tells us this, he takes a deep breath like, oh, I have to tell this pretty girl that I'm into Dungeons and Dragons. And the thing is, Brad, like, for all of the people who are like, oh, like, who have the stereotype about what, like, D&D people are, Brad, like, <laughs> kind of shatters that. That's true. Brad's, like, super hot, for sure. He's, like, a cute, good-looking, like, quote-unquote normal-looking guy. And he's right, like, oh, yeah, my God, yeah. Shandrea, I have I to know. tell you something. We did D&D. It's just a thing I don't understand. Right. So, like, that's it. Like, Brad is literally here to admit to this hot girl that he plays Dungeons the Dragons, and then we never talk about this again. So now, Shandrea and Joe are going to talk to Officer Kendall Perry, right? He was the first one to respond to the scene of Phoenix's car when it was found in East St. Louis. Right. So he, like, he found the car. He did all the checks. It wasn't stolen. So he starts, like, towing the car. Excuse me. First of all, Officer Kendall really loves his cop words. He says, I ran the place to make sure it wasn't stolen. Once I confirmed that, I began my towing process of the vehicle. I then began my towing process of the vehicle. Ken, <laughs> it's just us here. You know, it's like, I get it. They can't like get out of that speak because right, like, right. what if they have one five minute conversation with someone who's not a cop and then they go back to the office and say like, oh, I picked up the car. Like right. it's, it's all going to be fine. Like just right. like talk to me like I'm a normal person. So Officer Perry is saying like, look, it looked to me that someone just like ran out of gas. Like it just looked like they left the car and walked away. So this was throwing me off because I'm like, what are you talking about? Ran out of gas. A, you could just look at the gas gauge and B, the car was on and running. I watched this so many times and this was a lesson to me like just let the scene play through before you freak out because I was like wait what am I missing what is going on I could have saved myself a lot of time before we got to this we were told a million times the car was on the key was in the ignition the door was open like it looked yeah. like she was yanked out of this car oh god that is so fucking terrifying and so he's like to Shandrea and Joe he's like girls like nothing really out of the ordinary happened right there was no purse there there were no keys there like everything that Shandrea had heard and been reporting about for all of these years turns yeah. out to not be accurate. So as far as like like the condition of the car, so the engine was running. Um, no, the engine wasn't running. So the engine wasn't running? No. You're saying this car was just sitting there like it was delivered to that spot? There was nothing to raise a red flag like that. The doors were closed, the lights were off, the car was just sitting here parked. There was no indication of a carjacking or a struggle or anything violent, it was just an ordinary abandoned vehicle. Shandrea and me are all like, what? Right, because she fought so hard to get this on the air. She fought so hard to get the story out there and she feels like she's been cheated, but I'm like, but then where did the story come from? And that's where we are now. Right. Joe and Shandrea go to the Coldens home again and they ask them about the state of the car. I just have at the top of the section, Shandrea is 
mad. She is really mad. Because they're like, they just spoke to Kendall and they're yes. like right back at the kitchen table. And Shandrea is trying to not be mad because I'm sure there must be a reasonable explanation for this. So they're asking Phoenix's parents. Okay. Yeah. Who told you that the car was found with the keys in the ignition and the car running and the door open and all this stuff? Yeah. And they don't know. Where did that come from? I'm not sure. I'm not sure where it came from. Do you know when the first you heard that and who you heard it from? I can't remember. I know it was, I don't know. It didn't come from us. This is baffling to me. So like the mom is literally like, oh, well actually, I, well I, now that you're asking me, I don't know. At one point she's like, well it didn't come from us, but I don't right. remember who told us that. And I'm like, wait a second. But like Shandrea wants to pound the table. Like she's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This is killing me. Yeah, I mean, I want to I wanna take take a, a couple steps back really quick because as a, as a reporter, man, this is, this is killing me. When I interviewed you about, you know, when we did the first story, it was my understanding that that was a condition of the car. She is mad that she's now thinking that she's been reporting false information. Shandrea, you are responsible. You cannot just take what the grieving parents tell you and report it as fact. If you got on the air and reported that information as fact, that is on you. I'm sorry. Well, I hope she did at least the annoying reporter thing where it's like, allegedly, or according right. to the parents. <laughs> it's very odd, and it's like, it's also just sort of goes back to the fact that this case was never investigated. It never got proper attention. And like mistakes like this get made when that happens. You're absolutely right. Because now we're looking through what Phoenix had in her car. Yeah. And because her parents have it all. And the parents like just tell Shandrea and Joe about this like now in the second interview. And Shandrea's yeah. like, wait, what? You have the stuff that was found in her car. That's what was in the car. A pair of socks. Some, uh, what do you call these things? CDs. CDs. Highlighter. Is this lotion? Now, what what is this right here? Uh, what's this? I think it's something from a telephone company. So, like, Officer Kendall also isn't right because he's like the only thing he can remember being in the car is an ink pen, as he keeps saying. But it's actually <laughs> like what, like a fountain, like a quill and ink. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah, but there was actually like a ton of stuff. Her shoes—that's the thing that I always come back to. Her fucking shoes were found in the car, right? And then like the mother doesn't know what a CD is. Like that that moment happened. I have these like really exasperating calls with my mother too, where like she can't remember things or doesn't. And like I know I shouldn't get frustrated, but I do. And I felt very seen by Sean. Andrea in this moment. Right. I'm going to say something horrible here, but like yeah. moms are annoying. Parents are yes. annoying. But when you yeah. talk to your mom about stuff, you're also not talking about a murder. And so right. like when we hear that they discover a T-Mobile bill that went into collections and yes. the mother is like, wait, this isn't our bill. And I'm like, are you saying you didn't notice that? Are you saying you didn't totally analyze everything in that box from your missing daughter? And suddenly you're just like, oh, what like what could this be? And you've had this in your possession for six years and it's like it, it is what kind of makes this documentary great is that like we are seeing in real time Joe and Shandrea realizing the significance of this found cell phone bill that the parents have had for six years and that's what Joe is saying like wait a second like were you guys paying her T-Mobile bill yes we were on a family plan was that your account because that's a T-Mobile bill that went into collections it's a collection agency this is not uh no so this is another phone that she had? Evidently. 
if we know that Phoenix was on the family plan, that's the cell phone that everyone knew that Phoenix had, but now we see that she had another one. What kind of secret life was Phoenix actually living? Yes, of course. But my question is, how are you just now, six and a half years later, as the mother, discovering yeah. new things in that box? Like, that makes me, I can't, I just can't, my mind won't do it, girl. I know. I know. Well, let's go to Tim Baker. Oh my God, Tim Baker! You guys, I'm sorry. I gotta tell you, I'm not gonna be the only gay in this episode. Come on, Timmy, get over here, girl. I met Phoenix in, I think it was 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, it's when I was in fifth grade. Then we lived in the same neighborhood. In the Spanish-like neighborhood? Yep. Every day after school, we would hang out with each other. So here's the thing. Phoenix was homeschooled, but there yeah. were a lot of kids her age in the community. So like all of her friends were like going to school and she was homeschooled. So Phoenix and Tim hung out every single day. And Phoenix was, as Tim describes, his backbone. He didn't have a lot of friends. Then in high school, I came out. And so I didn't really have too many friends. And she was my backbone. You know, I could hang out with her and always have some type of relief, you know, that someone accepts, accepts me and loves me for who I am. Phoenix was totally there for him and he's so cute and he's so sweet. Yeah. But like, you know, I, we think it's just going to be a sweet thing with this queen telling us about like what a good friend she was. You guys, Tim Baker is about to drop some serious bombs on us. And I feel like even Tim doesn't know how big these bombs are. Right, right, because Tim is confirming she did have two phones. He's like, she would call me from both. I knew she didn't want the mom to know about the phones. And then we find out why she had those phones is... Back then, you would get a bill that shows all of your different phone contacts that you would have called. And so, um, obviously, it would be her calling Mike. And so since she didn't want her mother to know, I would assume that's why she got the second cell phone. He is saying the reason she had the second phone was because she had this secret boyfriend that she didn't want her mom to know about. And she also wasn't really going back to college. She was lying, saying that she right. was going back to college. So Phoenix was lying on two levels here. She was saying she was going back to college. She actually wasn't. And yeah. she had this boyfriend named Michael. And Tim is like, well, obviously she had that second phone because she didn't want her super overprotective parents to know about this Michael guy. And it's so funny because I'm like, this queen Tim with her truth bombs because Tim says something and then it cuts to Shandrea and Joe and their eyes pop and then it cuts back to Tim and he's like, what just happened? And then he says something else and then Shandrea and Joe's eyes pop. It's hilarious. I feel like they're like clutching each other's knees under the <laughs> table like, girl, you heard that, right? Oh my God, oh my God, oh I my know. God. So everyone's shocked. I'm shocked, you're shocked, we're all shocked. Who is Michael? What is going on? Michael is Phoenix's boyfriend. They are living together. She was lying that she was at college. She was really living with this Michael character. And yeah. Tim just reiterates. Considering, you know, her, her parents are strict, very religious. It was kind of don't date until you're married. Hmm. The policy was you don't date until you're married. And I'm like, it's a cute mistake. I know what he meant. But yes. that's how strict they were that, like, they really did not want Phoenix to be out in the world in any way. Like, she's 23 years old. Why do you have dating rules for her? I know. And, like, the whole reason she stopped living with this boyfriend was because the mom and the dad are like, it's been really cute with your freedom, but it's time for you to move home now. Exactly. So, like, this is where we're starting to see, like, oh, shit, she was kind of a prisoner in her own home. And the thing about this boyfriend, Michael, we learn, is that he was the last person to talk to her, according to the phone bill, on the day that she went missing. So, Shandrea and Joe go back to the parents' house, and they're sitting down with them and they literally say to her like so michael he apparently he was her boyfriend at some time you found out later we right? found out later after she went missing we found out 
when they were living together mm-hmm. and, and, and you got yeah. tricked. Yes. So they were living together and you got tricked? And the mom goes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> And the thing is, like, we get this story that the mom had been to Phoenix's apartment where she was living with boyfriend Michael. And the reason Goldia is so offended that she was tricked is because she was like, girl, I searched the closets. I searched under the bed. She was like, look, she was already assuming it was one of these situations where, like, Phoenix was so sheltered and the mom just always assumed she was doing something wrong all the time. So the mom was like, she was like, look, I searched for the secret boyfriend. I found nothing. (laughs) I looked through the closets. I looked through the kitchen. I looked through the refrigerator. I looked through the bathrooms. Can you imagine 23 years old and Barbara Pensavalli is going through your shit trying to find out if you have a secret boyfriend? No. And you know that mom was not thrilled about the gay friend either. You know she wasn't. Oh, well, that was a bigger secret than the boyfriend was. (laughs) You know, we learn about the boyfriend, Michael, the night before Phoenix went missing, they were on the phone for an hour and 15 minutes. And when this guy, Michael, was questioned about this by the cops, he claimed he didn't remember what they were talking about. So this Michael guy is shady as hell. And guess what we got to do, girl? We got to go track him down. Of course we're going to find (laughs) Secret Mike. We see Shandrea calling this Michael guy Mm -hmm. and leaving a voicemail. And then it just says three days later. And Shandrea's like, yeah, he never called me back. He doesn't want to talk to me. Well, yeah, right. Of course. So Joe is like, oh, we're going to go to his apartment and we're going to get him to talk. I've done this for a long time. And so they bring security with them just in case. Since we don't know where Mike B fell into the investigation and we're not sure what we're getting ourselves into going to his apartment, That's why we're bringing security with us. Brennan, did you see him when he was outside before? And what did you see? All I saw was a man in a purple shirt going into his apartment on the third floor of that building. And it's like Shandrea and Joe in one SUV and like an SUV behind them full of security people. Like they really think this guy Mike's going to go off the handle. Right. And so Joe sends Shandrea to the door. He's like, security will be there with you. Have fun, kiddo. And I'm like, what the? He just sends her off. We spent 10 minutes with the security and we don't know what we're going to get. We don't know who the secret Mike is. But okay, Shandrea, bye. I'm like, Joe. Ready to go. All right. I'll wait here for you. Security's going to go with you to keep you safe. Okay. I'll give you a scoop when I get back. Shandrea is like kind of like she signed the oxygen contract she's gotta go we see her walking up the steps to this guy's apartment flanked by security people it's not subtle it's not subtle no I was just gonna say it makes sense to us because we we decided to watch a documentary about this but imagine you're like either the guy in the apartment or like the neighbors and you're like who is this gorgeous woman and this like team of security people and they're all mic'd up with a camera crew and we also see it from afar because our view is from like Joe's passenger seat but like imagine you can like sort of hear him like eating the tuna sandwich while he's totally with the chips uh lays salt and vinegar but yeah imagine like just with the big light the pa like shandrea can you just do a mic just one two could you just tap the mic one two can we hear you okay great and then they have to do it again they're like sorry fuck we actually weren't rolling can you walk up the stairs again and she's like or you can just watch me knock on the door like why do we have to take it from one why do we have to go back to one Everyone is also kind of afraid this guy Mike is going to come out of the apartment shooting. Like, can we remember that there's an actual maybe dangerous person there? Right, but is it? It's just like her secret boyfriend because her parents were really overprotective and like we're kind of we're putting a lot on secret Mike here. I know. I know. I know. But like the long and the short of it is they knock on the door. We hear them knock. They wait for a few minutes. Bada bing, bada boom. Chandrea's back in the car. Okay. What happened? Well, we knocked. We actually ended up knocking on two doors and no one would come to either door, but it sounded like there was someone inside of the apartment. 
He knows we're looking for him, and he clearly doesn't want to talk to us. Yeah, he was in there. He didn't come to the right. door. <laughs> Which, can I just also say, none of that ever makes sense to me. If there's a camera, I'm talking. Whether I, know, I did girl. the murder or not, if you bring a camera, I'm going to talk. I know. It takes all kinds, right, girl? It, it does. And, and, you know, I love you for you. <laughs> but all of this could have been avoided because we meet Officer Ben, who's, what, 22? Officer Ben, who's very adorable, but he's definitely wearing his dad's suit to work today. I was going to say, he just turned 18. <laughs> this poor guy. And, like, he just wants to do this right. He just wants to say all the right things and not say the wrong things. Uh, we took photographs uh, based on the contents in the vehicle we believe belonged to Phoenix. Now we did not find a cell phone at that point in time. And he just keeps saying we, like, and I know what he means, like the general we, like the, yeah. the force has been working on this case, but Ben, girl, there's no way you've been working on this case for <laughs> no. seven years. He's like, we have tried really hard to solve this. But what Ben says is that like, Secret Mike, like- I think he was the most cooperative, most upfront person that we talked to in this investigation. So was he ruled out as a suspect? I can say with 100% confidence that he in no way, shape, or form had anything nefarious to do with Phoenix's disappearance. Joe, Shandrea, you couldn't just go to them first? I know, I know, because Ben's like, not only that, he was actually really super helpful. Yeah, he had nothing to do with it whatsoever. I can't believe you just harassed this person and, and good on him for not answering the fucking door. <laughs> Good for him. I know. Yeah, and like hot little young cop Ben says like, At this point in time, we do not have enough information to proceed down one avenue or another. Human trafficking, still on the table. Abduction, still on the table. Being very honest, homicide still on the table. Like, we don't know anything, girl. He basically is like, we didn't really look into it then. We're not really looking into it now, girl. We really can't help you. Please don't go back to that guy's house. Leave him alone. Right. So they're like, okay, we won't go back to Secret Mike's house, but we will go and talk to Phoenix's best friend, Akira. Well, they're going to try. So Akira has not agreed to an interview. Do you know who has? Her mom, Martini. <laughs> Mom Martini. You guys, her mother's name is Martini, and how this woman is not in my life in some meaningful way, I do not understand. How she's not your mom, I'll never know. know. Like, that's really her name. Like, she spells it not M-A-R-T-I-N-I. She just pronounces it Martini. Right. Her name is still Martini, though. I have news for you. Right. It's still her name. Her name is still Martini. You know that I want to talk about this for 45 minutes. Like, her name is Martini. How am I not making a podcast with her? I know. She's awesome. And she is Akira's mom. So Shandrea and Joe show up to the house because they've been trying to talk to Akira and like Akira has not wanted to talk to them. And this is another person who was close to Phoenix who doesn't want to talk and it makes you sort of be like, what are they hiding? And then you see Akira and it is just clear from like the second we lay eyes on her that she's just a wreck over this. Right. She doesn't not want to talk because she's hiding something. She just is like a complete emotional wreck over the fact that her friend is gone. She doesn't want to talk because it's hard for her to talk about it. Exactly. It's, it, it's that simple, right? Yeah. But Martini is me because Martini does want to talk. Hello. Come on. Hi, how are Hi. you? Now nice I to meet you. Face. <laughs> Hi, here. Martini, my name's Joe. You're more than welcome to sit down. <laughs> this this is Akira. Yeah. She's not ready it's, it's, yet. It's rough and if she is, it's only going to be so much. And she's like all too happy to have the camera crew in the house. And then Akira's right there, but like isn't going to talk. But then she decides she's going to because her mom is me and is like, girl, just talk. Just talk. Girl, girl. You're like such a stage mom about it, girl. <laughs> we have to have a conversation about this off air. I know. 
So here's the thing about Akira. Like, she reiterates again that there were all these kids in the neighborhood and Phoenix was the only one who was homeschooled. So everyone went to, like, school school and they all hung out at three o'clock, like Phoenix and everyone else after school. But here's the thing. They only could hang out with Phoenix on her front porch. So the only time we'll see her is three o'clock by the time we get out of school. Okay. Basically, when we came to go talk to Phoenix or whatever like that, we just sat on the front porch and talked. She couldn't leave, leave the stoop, you know, like. Couldn't even come down. We're like literally four houses down. Her mom was like a street. Yeah, strict, she was, strict, to me, it's like, over, overprotective. She was not allowed to leave her front porch. Even in that setup where she couldn't fucking go out and enjoy the beautiful day with her friends, the mom is still like glaring out the window and like scowling. She does not want her having any friends. She doesn't want her having any fun, any friends or being a kid. And the thing that makes me so sad about it is like Phoenix was still friends with everybody in the neighborhood. So like if yes. everyone was going to prom and Phoenix couldn't go, like she couldn't leave her porch. Yeah. It's easy for me to get really mad at this mom. It reminds me of like the witch in Into the Woods who you think is the villain the whole time. You know, because she's got Rapunzel, her daughter, up in the tower and like is holding her there and you think that she's evil. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that she's just trying to protect her from the world. And that is what the mom is trying to do I think, but it's so fucking misguided. Right. And here's what happens too. I'm not saying this happened with Phoenix necessarily, but like when you shelter your kids so much and then they go to college, they go fucking crazy at college. And remember, like, in 2007, she left and was free for the first time. Three years later, the mom is like, no, time to come home, girl. That freedom was too much. And that's when she vanishes. Right. And and also, in between, like, those years during college, like, they were fighting more and more. And she got, like, a taste of life outside the front porch. And, yes. you know, they just were clashing more. So Akira is back. When it got to, like, the six months before she disappeared, did you notice any change? I don't know what was going on with her at that time. She felt like people were following her. Her mom told me that it were people, there were people watching us in the park. Her mother was saying to Phoenix, people are watching you in the park, you gotta be careful. And Phoenix is now telling her best friend, oh my God, I think people are following me. Like my mom is telling me that people are watching me and like, I don't know what to do. And Akira just keeps saying like, wait girl, what are you talking about? Like level with me, what are you saying? And Phoenix like can't articulate it, but it seems to me that it's like her mother was putting this fear in her and she couldn't really articulate it. And her best friend was trying to get her to and she was like I don't know but I just feel scared and like I don't know what's going on. Yeah and like this is where I have in my notes like oh my god was she just trying to get away from her parents? Like I know I've been saying that since the beginning of the episode but it was at this point in watching the documentary that it really occurred to me like maybe she wasn't sex trafficked at all. Maybe her parents were so over fucking bearing she's now 23 years old she's like gone out into the world and experienced life and freedom and she realizes like the only way to get away is to just drop out of her life. It would take some that extreme for somebody to try to actually do that. And I'm wondering if this is her mom's tactic and it backfired. Like she was yes. trying to scare her into staying home saying oh my god you're being watched and Phoenix was like holy shit I'm being watched and I want to like see the world and so I'm leaving. And the other thing about this that makes me crazy is that if Phoenix actually was kidnapped or sex trafficked the mom has created such a bad rough life for her that it looks like the kind of life you would want to run away from. Of course. So it makes the authorities less interested in looking for her 
because it yes. also makes sense that she would just try to be escaping her life. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. And like the more I talk about maybe she just dropped out of her life, the more I'm like, oh God, but what if she didn't? Mm-hmm. It's an evil, dark, horrible circle. Right. So now, like as if this can't get any crazier, we get this video that Phoenix filmed of herself. <laughs> Joe keeps calling it a selfie video. And I guess, honestly, <laughs> to be fair, that's what I would call it too. It's like a video she took of herself. Yeah. It's like a selfie video. And I gotta say, like, look, it's not about this, but like she does film herself from underneath, which is not flattering for anybody. And she looks fucking great in this yeah. video. <laughs> and the poor thing, honestly, she is talking. It's like a journal entry. I'm sorry, I just feel like I can't um, start the new meal. I want to start over. I want a new me and I feel like I can't. She's saying like people don't give a fuck about me. I just got to go out there and see things as they are and she's kind of like repeating the same stuff and then she starts to pray and she's talking about like accepting the things she cannot change and like this is a girl in trouble. Yeah and like Joe and Chandrea like they sort of put forth this idea that it's like equally as compelling evidence that she like ran away from her life or she got mixed up in something illegal and dangerous dangerous and didn't know where to go for help or who to talk to about it and that that resulted in something horrible happening to her. Right and the thing is it's like when you think about how sheltered she was and how like the mom wanted dating rules when she was 23 and she couldn't leave her porch and all this stuff and you think like maybe she just wanted to branch out and she branched out in the wrong way like I don't know what's going on but it's one of those things where like she was so sheltered and you're not sure if she was running away or running towards something or what's going on. Yeah and so like the episode kind of ends with us finding out that there's another Mike. So Akira tells us that like original Mike who we thought she had the fake cell phone for Phoenix actually wanted to break up with that guy because there was a different Mike that she was really into. And Joe and Chandrea call him cell phone Mike. It was another Mike. He was a guy at the school. Well in 2010 now she's living with Mike Mike B. Mm-hmm. So was she dating both of them at the same time from 2010 on? I think she was. Cell phone Mike. And they track him down and he doesn't want to talk and he's directing them to his lawyer. But like we meet this cell phone Mike. He has an ex-girlfriend. And we meet her. She doesn't want her face shown, but they meet her at like a restaurant. And she has really interesting information about this guy. She had had a restraining order against him. Yeah. And so she says like he began to just come more possessive and angry. And eventually it became where he was very emotionally abusive and mentally abusive. He would slam me against doors or slam me on the ground. And she says, you know, before I broke up with him, and around the Christmas of 2011, mere days after Phoenix goes missing, the girlfriend notices, oh my God, Cell Phone Mike is researching a lot of these missing persons cases, but he is specifically obsessed with Phoenix's case. He's googing the shit out of Phoenix Colton. Now listen, I think everybody who listens to this podcast, Chrissy Teigen and Included is probably guilty of doing some like creepy goog searches because of something that you're fascinated by. And that's what he says. Girl, I'm telling you, I'd be arrested for a lot of things. My whole communication <laughs> style, my goog history is the stuff of nightmares. I'm telling you, it happens. It happens. No. And so he's just saying like, no, girl, I just I'm really interested in this stuff. I think it's really interesting because she's questioning him specifically about Phoenix. Like, why are you so interested in that? According to this girlfriend, he says to her, he said, why are you worried about somebody that's dead? 
Yeah. Joe basically falls over in his chair right. and he's like, did you say dead? And she says, yes. He said, why are you worried about someone who is dead? Right. Who happens to be my ex-girlfriend? And then it's like, bum, bum, bum. So you guys, this is how this episode ends. If you want the conclusion to this, go right now at the $5 level on the Patreon. Ad-free is our episode two. We get answers and we get some non-answers and Julie and I have lots of thoughts and opinions. <laughs> so it's available for you right now and ad-free at the $5 level on the Pates. It'll be the regular episode next week. Uh, girl, there's no coming up next because this is coming up next. Yeah, but there's a lot coming up next. It's weird I when know. that happens. There's no I coming know, up I next, know. but there's a lot coming up next. Yeah, you guys follow us on Instagram. It's at True Crime Obsessed Podcast. Uh, you can follow me at Patrick Hines underscore on the Instagram or at Patrick Hines on Twitter. Yeah, and I'm Jillian with a G on all those things. And we are TrueCrimeObsessed.com. You get your episodes, a calendar of what's coming up next, all the merch, yeah. all the fun stuff. Yeah, so stay tuned for the uh, really ridiculous and hilarious outtakes from this episode. <laughs> and we will see you next week for the conclusion of the disappearance of Phoenix Colden. It's actually like a gripping conclusion. Like I, they're I like I really have a lot of opinions here. <laughs> I know. I've been googling for Jesus Crawl as I do. Look, Reddit takes a lot of time. I know. <laughs> All right, we love you guys. Bye. We love you. Bye. Like Taylor Swift says, no body, no crime. Taylor, I know you're listening. <laughs> Absolutely right. <laughs> she and Chrissy Teigen both just like clinked their glasses. It's Taylor and the chicks listening totally. via FaceTime. Are you kidding me? Also, like, I think his name is beautiful, but I can't imagine growing up as a boy with the name Kendall was easy for him. I never I never considered Kendall, like, that Kendall had a gender. Kendall just sounds like such a girl's name to me. Why? Because of Jenner? No, I've just never met a boy Kendall before. I don't think I've met any Kendall before. I've never seen a Buick, <laughs> and I've never met a Kendall. Like, it looked like she was yanked out of this car. Exactly. And so... <laughs> you, you can't say the word yanked. <laughs> She was yanked out of the car. I know. I don't know why it just said yanked. And that felt very silly to me. 